Amen. High five somebody around you as you sit down. Tell them good morning. It is so great to be with you this morning. I want to say good morning to all of you here. But hey, before I get too far into the content for this morning, uh, Monday through Friday, well, actually Monday through Saturday, this is a school, and we have an incredible team of people who come in and they set everything up. They put it all together so that you and I can have a space to worship Jesus. Can we just honor the dream team here at Propel Church for all that they do week in and week out? Couldn't do it without you. We love you so much. And hey, for some of you, you are here for the first time, and we want to honor you as well. We don't take it lightly that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. And so church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Awesome. Awesome. So we are in uh, week two of a message series called Roadblocks. And in this series, I told you last week about how I was driving home. I was driving from my house on Highway 49 uh, into Mount Pleasant, and I ran into a fallen tree. There was a roadblock. And because there was a roadblock, I ended up having to take a detour, which was really delaying my ability to get to my destination. And God began to speak to me that there are so many of us in life that have to take a detour to our destiny because we're not addressing a roadblock that we run into. And so what we want to do over the course of this four-week series is talk through roadblocks that you and I have in our walk with God. But here's what we do at Propel Church. We want you to do four things. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We feel like if you can do those four things, if you can know God, then you have a relationship with God. If you can find freedom, you're becoming more like God. If you can discover your purpose, you'll realize why God put you on this earth. And it wasn't to just do something that makes a difference today. It was to make an eternal impact and actually make a difference in the world. So I believe if you can do those four things, it'll make a difference. But we run into some roadblocks every now and then. And so last week, one of the things that we talked about are roadblocks to knowing God. And if you missed last weekend's message, I would highly encourage you to go check out our YouTube page to watch that message video because if you don't get the know God part right, the rest of the stuff doesn't work. Like, like you, can, you can try everything. You can, you can try to make it work. It just doesn't, it's, it doesn't work. It's like, it's like trying to bake a cake without the main ingredient. Like, I don't know what that is. Like, right, flour. So it's like trying to bake a cake without flour. And some of y'all, y'all gluten-free people, y'all trying to do that. That's not a cake. So I'm just, <laughs> if you're gluten-free and offended, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we talked about knowing God because you and I have to get that part down first, right? If we, if we don't know God, none of the rest of this stuff works out. You, you can't find freedom without knowing God. So we talked about knowing God last week. This week, I want to talk to you about some roadblocks that you may encounter in finding freedom. Um, but I want to give us a common definition, because when we use a word like freedom, uh, all of us have different thoughts of what that word means. So common definition for us this morning, uh, to find freedom is the transition from living by your flesh to being led by God's Spirit. It's the shift that takes place in your life. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who is in Christ has been made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's the pro Finding freedom is the process of you letting go of your old life and laying hold of the new life that God has for you. 
What most theologians and most scholars will call this is the process of sanctification. It's different than salvation. Salvation is instantaneous, but finding freedom is a process. It's one of those things that you and I will walk out the rest of our days trying to find freedom. And one of the reasons is this verse that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. It says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, here's what will happen. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So if you've ever felt like there's this war going on within you, you're trying to follow God, your salvation's not in question. It's just how much you look and act like Jesus that, that is. All of us are on this journey. We're on this process. Paul says there's things that I don't want to do that I end up doing. Why? Because your flesh and your spirit are in constant conflict with each other. You've got to identify that there's this war going on within you. And while this war is taking place, he says they're in conflict with each other. So you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. He says, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. When you have a relationship with God, the things that are not of God in your life, God is going to prompt you and draw you to a place where you no longer desire those things, but you desire Him. That's why, that's, I think churches get it wrong sometimes when we feel like it's our job to convict people. The Holy Spirit does a really good job of convicting. I'm not a good Holy Spirit. I don't have to play Holy Spirit for you. You need, you, you need to meet Jesus, and after you meet Jesus, God's going to talk to you about the alcohol, and he's going to talk to you about all the other stuff that's going on in your life down the road. So we're going to talk about that today. If you have a Bible, I'm going to teach you a lot of stuff in the Old Testament throughout the course of this series. And one of the biggest reasons why I'm going to teach a lot in the Old Testament is because there is a... Uh, a a thought process that's taking place in the local church currently, um, which it's really not the global church, it's more of the American church, that the Old Testament is outdated and there's no need for it. If you ever find a pastor that tells you, you don't need the Old Testament, you need to find a new pastor. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just telling you, because all of Scripture is God-breathed, and all of Scripture is beneficial. You won't understand what Jesus did for you if you don't understand Genesis 1 through 3. So, so we need all of Scripture. So I'm going to teach you out of the Old Testament today. If you've got a Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. But before I do that, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. Um, the worst advice I ever got in ministry was right after I got saved. So I gave my life to Jesus, had the opportunity to lead a Bible study. I got home, and there was a pastor that I knew, and I sat down with him, and uh, we started talking about life, and, and I said, okay, look, what's the greatest piece of advice? I'm, I feel like God's called me into ministry. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. What's the best piece of advice you've got for me? And he looked at me, and he said, just fake it till you make it. And it was the worst advice I ever got. Because what the local church looks like right now, a lot of times, is a lot of people who are just faking it. Like a lot of people who who are pretending like they have it all together. So we come in on Sunday and somebody asks you, how, how, how you doing? And, and you go, oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed, right? Like, it's like, you, you got fired twice this week and you had one job. You know, like, your week is terrible. That's right. But here's the thing. If you and, you and I will never experience freedom if we're not willing to get real and real honest 
Okay, so I'm, I promise you, you're going to leave here. Your toes may hurt a little bit today, but it's because I love you. I, I got, I'll just tell you this, and we're going to dive into God's Word. I, I'd like to be your friend. I don't need to be your friend. I'm called to be a shepherd. Amen. Okay, you ready? <laughs> we're going we're to jump in, 2 Kings chapter 5. It says this, Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. I love the way Scripture is written because it's absolutely intentional. It wants you and I to know a couple of things about our main character in this particular passage, which is Naaman. It says Naaman was an incredible guy. He was respected by his king. He was highly popular. People loved him. They loved to be around him. Not only that, but the Lord accomplished a victory through him. So through one man, God blessed a whole bunch of people. And then it was like, oh, and by the way, dude had leprosy. Leprosy's not like a little thing. It's not like the dude had a skin tag, right? Like, leprosy's a big deal. It's a disease where limbs would literally fall off. It's a disease of numbness. Naaman is this mighty warrior being used by God but has leprosy. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is this. God can use you despite your issues. So it says, because through him the Lord had given a victory to Aram, but he had leprosy. After you meet Jesus, so, so there's two lies that the enemy primarily speaks. The first one happens before you come to know God, which is that because of your sin, God can't love you. God didn't actually die for you, or he didn't make the full payment. You gotta do something in addition to it to get God. That's a lie. After you go, come to know God, the greatest lie of the enemy is that because of the things you did before God, God can't use you. If you're in this room and you have issues, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, your issue is lying, right? So (laughs) we all got issues. And God can use us despite those issues. In fact, when we look in Scripture, when we open God's Word together, what you and I will see is that time and time again, God has been in the business from the very beginning of using people who are messed up, who have problems, who have issues for His glory and His purpose around the world. The reason why God uses broken and messed up people is because he's the only one that can get the credit for it when he uses them. That's what scripture says that, um, that when they're looking at the apostles, when they looked at them, they saw that these men had no education. The, the Greek word that's used there is the root word where we get the word idiot. <laughs> they looked dumb. But we knew God was doing something because he was the only one who could pull it off. And I think God is looking for people who have issues who are willing to say, hey, God, if you're willing to use people with issues, I'll sign up for it. So we keep reading in Naaman's life. Naaman has leprosy. The next couple of verses let you and I in on the fact that he he desires to be healed. So he talks to his king. His king then sends a message to the king of Israel asking him, hey, I've heard your God's a healer. And if your God's a healer, I've got a guy who's the perfect candidate for healing. If you'll heal him, that would be great. And the king gets so stressed out. The king is like, what does this guy think I am, a miracle worker? Does he think that I'm the one that can actually save or heal people? And then scripture says that he tore his robes, which is just a a fancy way of saying there was a heightened emotional state, and that was how he was responding. He got a little stressed, so he got naked. I don't know. So we keep reading. He ripped his clothes off. This is what it says in verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 5. When Elijah, the man of God, heard 
that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Well, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Uh, just a leadership note for you. If you identify the source of stress in a leader's life that leads above you, and you identify it, and you remove it from their plate and handle it, you'll have greater influence than you ever thought was possible. Because what leadership is, as you're, as you're working in the kingdom, it says the first will be last. But as you serve under people in the area of leadership, if you want to gain influence, you torment what torments your leaders. We can talk about that later on. I ain't got time for that this morning. So it says this in verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, and he said, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I thought surely that you would come out to me, and you would stand, and you would call on the name of the Lord his God, and he would wave his hand over the spot, and it would cure me of my leprosy. Are there not... Abana and Fahar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Well, couldn't I just wash there and be cleansed? So he turned away and he went off in a rage. The next point for you, if you're taking notes this morning, is that most of us desire freedom and healing, but don't want to go through the process to get it. Naaman has a leprosy issue. What you and I need to understand about prophets in this day is these were men of God who God spoke to. He spoke to the prophet, and then the prophet spoke to the people. So when Elisha says, go and bathe yourself in the river seven times, it's not a haphazard request. It's not like a, I think this might work. It was divine instruction from God that if they followed the process, Elijah's not going to heal him. God would heal him through Elijah. That's the, way, that's the way ministry works. That's the way God does things. You don't save people. God saves people. You just happen to play a part in the story. But when Nahum hears this, Naaman hears this, he's like, no. He gets mad about the process that God wants to walk him through in order to be healed. And I think that's where you and I get stuck sometimes in our process of finding freedom, is that we desire to be free. We desire to become more and more like Jesus. We just don't want to go through the process it takes to actually get it. It reminds me, so I was, um, right now, Chick-fil-A and Popeye's, they've got some conflict between each other. So Popeye's released an incredible chicken sandwich. I'm just going to tell you, you may leave the church over this. The Popeye's chicken sandwich was better. Fight me, right? Like, so <laughs> I'm saved but got hands. Anyways, so um, it was better. But I, so I was standing in line. I had to stand in line for 45 minutes at Popeye's. You ain't never seen a line like that. It was not worth the 45-minute wait. However, it was a really good chicken sandwich. But as I was standing in line, I watched a lot of people open the door at Popeye's, and they had wanted this chicken sandwich, but when they saw the process it would take to get one, they walked right back out the door. And I think that's what you and I do in the process of freedom sometimes. Just go, God, I'd, I'd love freedom. That sounds great. Oh, but not that way. <laughs> so what does Naaman get mad about? Two things, if you're, if you're taking notes. The first thing that Naaman gets mad about is he gets mad that the servant greets him. He thought that he was a man of high stature, high value. He had great position and authority. And because of that, the prophet should come greet him himself. What was standing in the way of Naaman's healing? Pride. Pride will keep you and I 
bound up and in chains where God desires to set us free. The second thing is that Naaman, and he said it, he said, I thought, here's, here's what would happen. That the prophet would walk out the door, he would come to me, he would wave his hand over my spots, and I would be immediately healed. What Naaman gets on the other side is, you go bathe in the river. Naaman was mad that he had to be involved in his own process for healing. So what happens is, we get stuck here. We get stuck in the place where we want to be free. We just wish God would do it. And God is not a microwave God. He's a lot like a crock pot. It's a process. <laughs> There's not a quick fix. There ain't no fast food line that can get you to freedom. It's a process that God wants to walk you and I through. And I believe that Elijah and God picked the Jordan River intentionally because it was the dirtiest river of all. It was muddy. The Jordan River is brown. It's filled with mud. And so when Naaman's looking at this, what Elijah is saying is, if you go dip yourself in dirty water seven times, you'll actually get clean. Because sometimes in order to get clean, you have to first get dirty. So I want to walk you through God's process for finding freedom. It comes from James 5, verse 16 and 17. If you're with me, say I'm with you. James 5, 16 says this. It says, Therefore... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If you're taking notes, finding freedom happens when we gather with groups of people for confession and prayer. This is God's process for finding freedom. This is God's process for making you more like Jesus. Because in order to do it, you have to be involved and you have to swallow your pride enough to get dirty for the purpose of getting clean. You have to be willing to sit in a group of people. And I'm not asking you to, to get in a place where you come and you confess your sin before the church, right? If you, if you walked on stage and said, well, you know, today or this week, I cut four people off in traffic and told them they were number one, right? Like, you wouldn't ever bring guests to that church. <laughs> we're not asking you to do that at all. But here's what you do need. You need a small group of people where you can be real with. Where you can talk with about your, your struggles and your issues. and the, Where you don't have to put the mask on. Where you can take the mask off and be real and be transparent. Because God can't heal what you won't reveal. I love what one theologian says is that you are only as sick as your secrets. You and I go to God for forgiveness, but we go to God's people for healing. And I think a lot of times the greatest roadblock that stands in our way of finding freedom is our willingness to go through God's process. Yeah. Naaman says, hey, if, there's, if, 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 if I could do this, if all I need to do is bathe, I could have found some other rivers. That's not God's process. There's no other process other than getting in a place where you are confessing and being real because your level of transparency determines your level of freedom. And I am so far behind in my notes. I'm going to blow, just worship team, just know I'm going to run like five minutes over. Is that okay with you? I don't do this normally. I'm going to do it today. So, but I was going to talk with you about groups and, and talk with you about the importance of groups. And, and we're going to talk about groups in a few weeks. I just need you to know that you have to gather with small groups of people. Like, like it, 
we, we, we have groups here at Propel Church because I believe you need the right kind of friends in your life. You need the right kind of people in your life. So we facilitate small groups of people. It doesn't have to be 12, 30 people. It, you can get in a group of five people, but they have to be the right kind of people. And the purpose is that it's a James five sixteen. Can we pull that verse back up? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some of y'all have people in your life who are praying for you, but they're not righteous. They're not living righteous lives, so their prayers aren't powerful or effective. So your circle determines where God's going to take you down the road. you got to make sure that you have the right people around you. And I'll show you that based on what we read in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13, as we continue reading this morning. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if a prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan. If Naaman didn't have people who fought for his healing, he would have continued to walk away angry. So he was leaving. He was done. But he had the right kind of people in his life who fought for his freedom when he wasn't fighting for it himself. You need those kind of people in your life. I think the church is the best place to find it, and we'll go over that in a couple weeks. So we continue reading. So he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except the God of Israel. So please accept this gift from your servant. If you're taking notes, freedom happens when you commit to God's process. Freedom happens when you commit to God's process. This is not a one and done thing. This is not something that just happens overnight. It is literally a commitment to God's process that's necessary in order for you and I to find freedom and to find healing. I love what Rick Warren says is that fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in, but they're rubbed out. Fellowship happens when mercy wins over justice every time. You and I need a place of healing. You and I need a place of freedom where we can talk to other people about the struggles that are actually going on in our lives. And it's a commitment to community. It's a commitment to do life with God's people, to stop living isolated, to stop doing this on your own, to stop allowing yourself to be by yourself when God created you for the purpose of community. Because if the enemy, anybody watch Shark Week? I like Shark Week. I love Shark Week. If you watch sharks attack, they always, there's, there's like packs of seals, right? Just follow me for a second. So there's a big old pack of seals. A shark doesn't attack a pack of seals. He waits for one to get isolated. And what the enemy does is he waits for you to get isolated because if he can isolate you, he'll destroy you. So you need to stay in the pack. You need to stay around God's people. It's so crucial that you and I commit to this process of confessing sin to one another. But I think most of us are too casual in our commitment to community. So here's what I told you I was going to hurt your toes. So I'm just going to do it now because I love you. Here's what most of us do. We go, oh, well, well, 
well, you know, Pastor, that community thing sounds great, but I'm just too busy for community. Here's what you, you know. Truthfully, what you put on your calendar determines priorities. So if freedom is a priority for you, you'll fight for it. It'll make space on your calendar and it'll make it there. I meet parents all the time who get really mad. And it, your, your kid, you know, goes off to college and they don't, they're not in church when they go to college. But here's what you need to know. Every time you picked sports over church, you communicated value. Like that's the truth. Every, every time you, parents, when, when you choose to place your kids outside in an organization that exists outside of the church, you're communicating your value. Everything we do communicates value. I can, I can open your calendar and show you what you value. Right. You can open my calendar and see what I value. There's, that, that's the reason people ask all the time, like, well, oh, can we get together on Thursday nights? The answer is no, because there's a date night on my calendar with my wife, and it matters because it's important. Things don't get in the way of that because it matters because what's on my calendar is important. You can't say I'm too busy for community because you make time for what's important. Other people will say, well, I've been hurt in the past. And here's what I want to, I want to just up front, I want to apologize for people that were Christians that have hurt you in the past. Because I, I could poll the room and I could guarantee you that 90% of you have been hurt or wounded by other Christians. I apologize for people who used prayer requests as a place to gossip. I apologize for people who twisted and manipulated when you tried to confess an issue and changed their view of you or looked down on you. But what you need to know is that if you build a wall that keeps people from ever hurting you again, you cut off the flow of relationships in your life. You cut off the flow of healing in your life. And God cannot bring freedom and healing to your life outside of his people. He doesn't bypass the process because you got hurt sometimes. His process happens through people. You don't have to be open to it. Some of us may say, oh, well, I'm an introvert. And, and the good news is that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. Others of you may say, well, I don't really like Christians. I, I can't blame you, right? They're weird. But here's what 1 John says. 1 John says, if you claim to love God but not his people, then you're a liar. What you and I have to do is stop affording ourselves the luxury of excuse making. Because the excuse only satisfies the teller. Right. You and I have to throw off every excuse that we would have for why we can't do community and really answer the question, how free do we want to be? Yeah. Because if you and I want freedom, if you and I want healing, it requires a commitment to community. I bet Naaman would have gotten incredibly frustrated as he's bathing in that river. Seven times. So if it was me... You may not be like this at all, but if I got in that river, I'd, I'd start bathing, and I'd come up after time one, and I'd be like looking. I'd be like, it didn't work. I know he said seven times, but like, I'm an instant results kind of guy. So I'd get out of the water. I'd go back in the water. I'd bathe. Time two, come up. Still nothing. Okay, whatever. Time three. And, and by time six, I wonder if he's thinking, this is never going to work. This is never going to work. He's, he's just making me look like a fool. And as he gets up from time seven, he goes through the process. He goes through God's process. And scripture says, immediately his skin was cleansed. I can't promise you the first time you show up to a small group of people, you're going to like it. I can't. 
That's why we do it in semesters, so you have an easy on-ramp and so that you can get the heck out if you need to. Because <laughs> here's the thing. We're a church of about 250 to 300 people. There's bound to be some weird people in here. And some of y'all are sitting next to them. So <laughs> when you get in a group of people, when you do life with other people, the commitment is to that process. Knowing that the way God designed it was that if you and I confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, we will be healed. Yeah, it may be inconvenient, but it's worth it. So we continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 16. It says, So the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. Because remember, uh, Naaman has tried to give him a gift. So I want to give you a gift. I want to bless you. Thank you so much for what you did. He says, I'm not taking a gift from you. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, Naaman said, please let your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. In this time period, gods were viewed as geographical beings. So in other words, there was a God over in Samaria. There was a God in Israel. There were gods based on territories and regions. So what Naaman is saying is, based on the belief of that time, if I can just take some dirt from Israel, then I can carry God back to my people. And if I can carry God back to my people and they see that I'm not going to worship any other God but the God, then what they're going to see is I'm changed. I'm different. Because once you experience freedom, you desire to help others do the same. Once you've experienced the life transformational power of God, once you get on the process, and I'm not talking about being perfect, because we already talked about the fact that God uses people with issues. Can I get a good amen? No, we're getting involved in the process. Naaman says, if there's a way for people to experience the same healing power that I experience, and it just requires me to shovel some dirt, I'll shovel as much dirt as I can carry because I want people to experience the healing and the freedom that God has to offer. That's the power of it. And so here's what I talked to you about freedom. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Here's why I, I told you all that. Because tonight we have a group leader training. And I want some of you, actually I really want all of you, from 5 to 6 p.m. to come hang out with me tonight. Because here's what I know, if you've experienced freedom, then it's time for you to carry some dirt back to your people. It's time for you to carry some dirt back to other people so that they too can experience God. This is not something that you have to be perfect. And that's why I want you to hang out with me for an hour because I think you're going to realize that leading a group is a lot easier than you think. The whole purpose of this thing is that you and I would help other people find freedom as we're finding freedom. Because the first person you help find freedom, you'll be hooked. You'll be like, oh, this is worth it. It was in one of the first freedom groups that we ever did. Um, We were doing freedom and... and, uh, I love the freedom curriculum. It it basically helps you settle your yesterdays and walk into your tomorrow because you can't continue to walk into what God has for you if you're still dragging the weight of your old life. So freedom helps you do that. We were going through freedom, and one of the guys was going through the curriculum, and uh, he called me one night, and he said, Pastor, can we we go have have dinner after group? 
absolutely, let's do it. I love to eat. So we go out, we're eating some food together, and as we sit down, um, he goes, hey, man, I want you to know I was going through the freedom curriculum, and I was thinking, and I, and I just realized, I don't know Jesus. And so I sat there right at my kitchen table, and I said, God, I, I surrendered my life to you. I prayed the prayer. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he said, look, it's only been a couple hours, but like everything in me is different. Do people know this Jesus is for real? That's that sanctification process, right? We'll work on it later. The authenticity was beautiful. Because I think if you and I really understood what God did for us, it would cause us to do something with it. If you look in Scripture, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you're not helping other people follow Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus. Because disciples make disciples. And it's not a five-year process. It's not something that you have to wait for or go to school for. The Spirit of God inside of you gives you everything you need to do what God has called you to do. Like for some of you, that needs to be an encouragement because you've thought that there's no way God could use somebody like you. I want you to know, I graduated high school with a .4 GPA. And not only that, I only made it like four semesters in college. And I have the privilege of doing this, not because of anything that I do, Because we have a God that is in the business of using people with issues. We have a God who's in the business of taking that which is broken and bringing healing. So tonight, from 5 to 6 p.m., I want you to give me one hour. And I'm not asking you to lead a group this semester. I'm asking you to come learn about what it would look like to lead a group. And if God leads you to lead a group, do it. Maybe God's going to lead you to partner with somebody else or to sit under someone else's leadership and learn how to lead a group for a semester. We would love to help you with that. But come tonight. Help other people experience freedom. Because the whole purpose of this is to teach you how to carry dirt back to your own people. The purpose of groups inside of Propel Church is not to use the platform of what we do to just build your group for you. It's that you would shovel some dirt and carry it back to the people God's already placed in your life. Yeah. It's to, to, you're already hanging out with your friends once a week, inviting everybody over for a dinner party. So, so just add a scripture component in there and you got a group. Like it's not that complicated. So what do I want you to do with today's message? Well, I want you and I to leave here committed to God's process committed to finding freedom for the rest of our lives to know that it doesn't exist outside of getting in community with God's people. And I want you to help other people find freedom as well. But for some of you in here today, you can't find freedom because you don't know God. We've talked about finding freedom. We've talked about the process to to finding freedom. But truthfully, Confessing to other people sounds really hard because you've never made the greatest confession of all, which is that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And that's the starting place. So with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment in here, if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've walked away or turned away, but you realize that God is drawing you to him. There's something inside of you that's going, you need to respond to the invitation of God today. Here's what I can tell you. The enemy's not prompting you to say yes to Jesus. 
It's God drawing you to him. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, that's for me. I want to make a decision today to trust Jesus with my life. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? Say, that's me. I see those. I see those. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, stand to your feet and help me celebrate with those who made decisions this morning. Amen, amen. Well, hey, we're going to continue in worship and sing a song called What a Beautiful Name. And my encouragement for you would be to just focus on these words of the song, to encounter God in a way that maybe you never have before. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's to close your eyes. Maybe it's to lift your hands. But here's what I do know. James says that when we seek him wholeheartedly, we find him. Let's worship.